Hello and welcome to episode 140 of the NFL Scotland podcast. Free agency is underway. Get those F5 buttons mashed. My name is Cameron Hobbs. Nobody enjoys tampering quite like Cameron Hobbs, so we're delighted that he's here. In fact, two people do. They're Charles Patterson and Gordon McGuinness, and they're joining us as well. But first, I feel I need to say I'm Paul Mitchell. I'm in need of some friendly words. So we're going to cross to the USA and for the BS and Beer podcast. I'd like to welcome to the NFL Scotland podcast, David Romero. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by a gentleman whose voice I've heard numerous times from the wonderful BS and Beer podcast. Here to talk me down off the ledge about the Saints next season is David Romero. David, thanks for joining us here on the NFL Scotland podcast. Man, always enjoy talking to you guys, man. A lot of... Uh... Uh, friends over the over the pond i think y'all call it in europe and uh, anytime i get a chance to reach out and and hang with you guys for a minute i always enjoy it brilliant we're delighted you're here 15 years to the day yesterday since drew Brees joined the new orleans saints and he broke a lot of hearts yesterday david by announcing his retirement which i guess came as a surprise to absolutely no one <laughs> well there's a whole camp of breeze fans out there that refuse to believe uh, the, despite all the tea leaves that suggested is exactly what was going to happen. So it's in, it's going to be interesting to see which camp they go to. Are they going to go to the, the Taste of Hill camp? Or are they going to go to the Jameis Winston camp or the, the camp of let's draft a guy? Yeah, I mean, there's some great options, and we'll come on to those in a moment or two. I mean, first of all, look at Drew Brees. Started his career in San Diego, had a couple of really impressive winning seasons. Uh they didn't like him all that much, so the Saints managed to grab him, much to Miami's chagrin. Nobody really expected too much from him at the start. Is that fair to say? Um, well, I, you know, hey, you know how Saints fans are. I think the, and maybe not just Saints fans, but but football fans in general, the expectations were, you know, he's going to overcome this injury. But I, I'd have to say that there were more people who were reluctant. Now, keep in mind, it's 15 years ago, and I've I've covered the Saints since the uh, professionally since the Ditka years. So I remember when it happened, but my memory's foggy. I remember a lot of people being, what is going on here? You know, we got a guy, his arm was ripped out. He felt a physical and, and there were, there were a lot of people who were opposed to it. Yeah. We must get together and talk about the Ditka years, but we'd need plenty of Scotch whiskey to do so. Uh, they, they were something else. I mean, Drew Brees comes in, you know, starting quarterback 10 and six in his first year. Which, which kind of said to people, you know, the arm, the arm was good. And I think we started to realize we might actually have something. Yeah. I mean, look, his first year, especially when you consider the, the situation that Drew Brees came into, the devastation after Katrina, uh, the, the team was in shambles, you know. I mean, to come into that situation, a uh, new coach, new situation, Lots of holes. I mean, if you look like right now, we're worried about a lot of holes that have been created recently. If you look at that team that went to the NFC championship game, you have to give Drew Brees, uh, I mean, accolades that, that are what he's earned throughout his career. Yeah, I think one of the things, David, that people don't realize is that he rarely played with a great defense. Now, Tom Brady has done so in his time and has been very successful. Drew Brees never really had what you would have classed as a top-of-the-table defense. A couple of good ones, but you, you wouldn't have said they were, were necessarily the best in the business. I, I got to say, if, if I had to write a book, I, I think the book would probably lean towards 
New Orleans never quite gave Drew Brees everything he needed to win more championships. Quite frankly, I think it's it's the story of missed opportunities, and and not because of Drew Brees. I mean, later on in his career, when it's to be expected that he wasn't as good as obviously he was in his prime, uh, the the team around him got better. But earlier and mid in the season, uh, uh, his career, and there's so many missed opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I, I, a lot of people who think about recent times think about what happened in Minnesota, which was horrible. The non-call with the Rams, you know, signing a successful side judge to, to work with them and all these conspiracy theories that I know Cameron absolutely loves. Th- these were heartbreaking because as Saints fans, we knew that if Breeze got there, he was going to probably win the Super Bowl. The Minnesota one I could live with, but the Rams one still haunts me. Yeah, I think that will be um, – I don't know how, how we define that, but I think that's going to be the one that we most remember. Now, you talked about the Vikings, and I don't know if you mean the first Viking loss in our, <laughs> our, new, our new era. Uh, to me, I didn't expect to be that good that year. So, uh, And I'm, i got to get my year straight. Is that 17 or is it 18? I didn't expect to be – so when we went in there and played Vikings, who were a very good team – we started off slow. We ended up coming back and then lost on an incredible play. Um, you know, it was disappointing, but I didn't expect that much. Now, the second time, meaning two years ago when we lost, uh, it, 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 me as, look, I, I've, I've covered the Saints, uh, credentialed uh, media, but I'm still a fan. That one broke my heart more than maybe that the other one is the 49ers back in 11. Those two, it just broke my heart. So, and, and I guess that's the thing about sports in New Orleans. Is, I mean, they love the Saints. I mean, there's there's no doubt. Cameron and I visited in 2018. We saw the Saints play the Eagles. We did the whole, you know, went to walk-ons before the game, you know, going up, speaking to people. It, it was amazing. For somebody who's never been to the Superdome to witness the Saints, how, how do you sum it up? Well, I mean, it's going to be hard. Uh, uh, I, first of all, the energy in the Dome yeah. – Man, I, I don't know. It's just a whole new – I mean, this is a, a renaissance. 15 years without ever having to worry about a quarterback competition. And right off the bat, we see what it's like, the stress, the not knowing, the arguments, the things we didn't have to worry about before, right? Um, what we had to worry about back then is like, no, no, we shouldn't get a middle linebacker in the first round. We need a wide receiver. And now it's just a whole new dynamic. It's, it's, it's a different program now that Drew Brees has moved on. What do you remember most about Drew Brees, or what did you enjoy most about watching him play? Well, I, I can literally remember, and I couldn't tell you what year it was, but it was a Monday night football game, and we were playing the Packers, and they just showed Drew Brees in um, in the, the breeze way before the game starts, and he's just kind of doing his stretches, and I looked at him, and, and this was not the beginning. This was after we realized that we had a Hall of Fame-type quarterback and just the pride that I felt being vicariously a part of that you know as as a fan you finally looking over there and saying that guy is one of the best all-time players ever and i don't know if it's any one single play because there were so many of them how, how would you pick one player or a handful of one game out of so many great games but to me it was just the feeling of when breeze walked on the field you knew that no matter how bad let's go back even to the game against uh, the buccaneers there's still that feeling late in his career when when he wasn't the same player he was before. You still thought maybe, maybe we had a chance, right? 
yeah, he, he always gave us a chance. Now, there's, there's been a lot about the statistics, most touchdowns, yards, attempts, completions, and things like that. But th- there's a couple that tend to stick out to me more than most. He's only got a losing record against four, four. NFL teams, which is quite amazing. He's even got a winning record against the Saints because he beat them when he played for the Chargers. But divisionally, Dave, I mean, Tampa Bay, 18-10, and 10, Atlanta, 19-10, and 10, Carolina, 17-11. and 11. I mean, that's pretty impressive because they have had some good teams at the same time. No, well, the, the NFC South, man, it, it, you, I look at things – from the Saints outward. So I see the Saints and I see the NFC South and then we get to the NFC and then we, and and quite frankly, sometimes you lose perspective how good the NFC South has been throughout Drew Brees' career. I mean, how many Super Bowls, when someone brought up the fact that Tampa Bay won its second Super Bowl before the Saints did, and it wasn't that that hit me, it was the fact that, man, another team in the NFC South won their second Super Bowl. Carolina's been there. Uh, Tampa, uh, uh, Atlanta hasn't won any, but I, I believe they've been there twice. So the point is, is you're talking about, you, you mentioned Tom Brady and some of the parallels. You know, Tom Brady had a defense. Tom Brady never had this type of competition in his, uh, in, in his division. And when you consider the fact that you have to fight through your division for seeding and something that's plagued us is injuries. You know, you get to the playoffs, you have a great team. Well, you had a great team until you lost your left tackle, you lost your – nose guards, you lost your free safety or whatever the case may be, or somebody's banged up. Boy, it'd been nicer to get through those games with less competitive teams where you're a little bit more injury-free. Who knows what would have happened? Indeed. I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I think it's a question that this we will look back on this as a chance lost for, for, for various reasons. Looking forward, now, I'm a big fan of the BS and Beer podcast. You know this. Now, yeah. old crab legs himself, as, as you guys christen him, I mean, you absolutely slaughtered him when he was Tampa Bay's quarterback. How do you square the circle if he's going to be the man under center this year? First, I'm offended by the fact that you put me on the spot like this. So, uh, <laughs> you know. hey, I, I'll tell you what, and we joke. I have my own group of guys, obviously, that, that work with me. And we, we message back and forth. And, and I laugh at myself at my ability to, um, to convince myself that something will happen. And something you have to separate between the professional side of you and the fan side of you. Uh, Jameis Winston had a lot of issues. He, he had a lot of maturity issues. But you can make some arguments that, you know, it's never going to happen. But I think you can make a very strong argument, very strong case that Jameis Winston uh, can be a competitive quarterback. And I think the key to his success is how much he matures, because I don't think that the physical part of it was the reason he failed. I use this analogy. His last year with Bruce Arians, the year, you know, he got cut the year after he had 30 interceptions and people are really point towards that. And I don't know. You guys play golf. I, yeah, I played have, a little. Yeah. I have a moment in my life, several years where I was just ate up with it. And sometimes I mean, my goal was to break eight. Right. And I get out there, man. And sometimes you write on it the whole 16 and you just, man, if I just uh, sometimes by whole five, you know that, look, I already put two into the trees. I put one in the lake and then you just start gripping and ripping. Right. You just start saying, listen, this ain't working for me. I'm just going, I'm just going to drip it. And I feel like that may have been what happened to him in a Bruce Arian system 
that puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback and very well known. Peyton Manning had the highest interception total of his career under Bruce Arians. Now, look, I'm spending a lot of time telling you why I can because this is a home remedy coming out. But the fact of the matter is, I think that in an offense that Sean Payton puts together that plays to a quarterback's strengths. How many times have you heard him tell Breeze, how do you like this play? Do you like it? Do you really like it? He's doing things that the quarterback, Bruce Arians is more of a, here's the offense, run it. Now, again, none of that means that he's going to be successful, but I think that I can easily convince someone, maybe not someone like Cameron who's opposed to it, but I think there's a good <laughs> argument to be made that Winston, now I'm not trying to say he's going to be the next Hall of Famer, but he can be a solid quarterback, not just a stopgap or a bridge or a, someone who could actually be a good quarterback in the Saints offense. Willie, we'll see. I'm just I'm going to jump in here because I just want to set the record on this one absolutely before before this spirals away from me. I'll tell you now, David. I I'm a Jameis Winston fan. I think there's a lot to like there. I genuinely think, and I think you've hit the nail on the head uh, to an extent. Where two things that I for me come into play. There's actually a third one that you didn't cover that I think is massively important, especially in New Orleans. But one, yeah, the maturity. He was number one pick in the draft. Came out of college where he was a character, brought character to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that was a franchise going through a little bit of change, a little bit of, you know, I, I'm not even sure that they knew what their identity was. Like, it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with this great quarterback who's capable of great stuff, and I'm not even sure they knew how to use him. Like you say, he then got into that situation where things weren't working for him. I think, you know, that grip and rep analogy is perfect. I think you're absolutely, you've nailed it. I haven't heard that being used in the context, but I, I think you're right. The one thing I think he's got in New Orleans as well, it's above and beyond that, is Alvin Kamara. And I think that his whole time in Tampa Bay, there was so much on the shoulders of Jameis Winston making stuff happen. And he had to sling that ball at times to just get his team down the field. He's got weapons like Kamara in a scheme that's set up to to, to utilize some of that backfield play. Um, he's got, you know, if, if you're going to use Hill in that Taysom Hill every single position other than quarterback and even a little bit of quarterback from now and then, he's got an absolute weapon there that can make stuff happen as well. You can mix that up. There's a wild card, uh, wild card, wild cat opportunity. There's a lot to like about Jameis Winston. He's had his eyes lasered, for goodness sake. The man's a superhero now. He's got laser <laughs> eyes. You know, and, and then look at that touchdown he threw in the, in the game against the Bucks. That was pinpoint. Man wide open, fine, whatever. I'm sure I could have thrown that, but that's not the point. He did it. He did it! So, uh, listen, I'm I'm ready to jump the Jameis Winston bandwagon. I've been to the Superdome. It was phenomenal, the noise. I I can imagine that 70,000 noisy, uh, hungry, anxious, starved New Orleans fan base absolutely singing out the name of Jameis Winston, and I'll tell you what, I'm here for it. I am here for it. And, and let me throw in here something that you have to look at the other side of the coin. What is the alternative? Look, the idea that we go out and get Watson or Wilson, that's all great. I'd love to have those guys. But when you give up the value, what those guys are actually worth, three first-rounders, four first-rounders, a couple of starters, Watson had almost 5,000 yards passing. He had less than five interceptions. He had, um, uh, I think, about 30 touchdowns, and their team won four games. What in the world makes you think if you give away anything you have to fill holes – and good players on your team that you're going to bring either one of those guys in and they're going to continue to win without a supporting cast. So I consider those guys, they're untradeable because if you trade them for what they're worth, what their value actually is, you, it would destroy your team. 
the next option. Okay, draft one. Who are you going to get at 28 that's going to step in and continue the – so when you start looking at things, is there a free agent out there? Even if there was one, could we afford him financially right now? Jameis Winston is the right guy at the right time, and it's an experiment. He could be everything that we hope he could be, and he might be something short of that. But at the end of the day, I don't know other than Hill. If you're a Hill fan and you think that Hill can develop some more, this is your only options right now. Money-wise, draft capital-wise, it has to be Winston or what, or Hill, whichever one you, whichever camp you're in. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, Dave. I, I find it hard that New Orleans are, are losing not only a, a great quarterback, but they're losing a great man as well, a great person. I struggle. The fan in me struggles to have somebody in whose maturity level is poor, who doesn't appear to have been that great in character. And I find it hard to get on his side. And I've got to find a way to do that. I mean, I'm a Taysom Hill guy. I love Taysom Hill. I think he's brilliant, but I don't see him as a 16-game starter for the Saints. So if it's going to be Winston, I've got to find a way to, to try and overcome my I would say prejudice, but I mean, I think I've evaluated his character. As I used to say to Cameron, you know, I didn't like Jameis Winston. And then I watched Hard Knocks. And then I really didn't like Jameis Winston. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to say that you and I are complete like minds when it comes to that. It is hard to look at the face of your team and it's Drew Brees and then go to another guy that, I mean, listen, you pointed out how I felt about him before. I mean, he's a clown. And okay, it's okay. I'm a bit of a clown. Can I can I be serious? Can I can I lead a team or can I lead an organization when I need to? Absolutely, I do it in my in my everyday life. But there has to be a fine line, and and I'm not 100% sold on him. So that's the thing that I want to see is a guy at the podium that makes me feel good about being a Saints fan, a Saints follower. Uh, you know, hey, listen, he can do a lot of goofy stuff, and it's fun to talk about and make jokes or whatever, but. Quite frankly, I'd rather have that low-maintenance quarterback like a Drew Brees that comes to work every day, says all the right things, and makes you feel like that is the leader in the face. So we are on the exact same page. That's yet to be seen because even though I thought it was funny, as much crap as Winston caught for the eating the W thing, I thought he was making fun of himself, and I'm, I'm confident that's what happened. But the fact that he's still back there and he's eating the W behind Drew Brees, you, you remember what I'm talking about after yeah, one yeah. of the games. It's kind of like, okay, listen, let's move past that. Let, let's be funny in the locker room. Let's make some jokes. Let's be lighthearted. But let's move past the nonsense. Let's move past the just that, – that's just horrible. And, and that was a little bit – I don't think it's immaturity. I think it's more of him being silly after a win. Having said that, let's hope that the maturity factor picks up where we can be proud to say we're associated as a fan, as media, as, uh, uh, you know, just a follower of the Saints. We want to be proud of that, right? Oh, I, absolutely. I think I think you've hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. I, I want to feel that I'm invested in my team. And part of that does come with character. I know, for example, Cameron wasn't a big fan of Richard Sherman going to his beloved 49ers for that reason. You know, there's just players, you know, you don't like it because of their body of work. But I, I guess, Dave, uh, we've got to approach this with an open mind. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, we don't have a lot of options, so we can only hope for the best. Dave, it's been brilliant for you to join us. It's absolutely tremendous. I trust you will come back just a few weeks into the start of the season and we'll see how it's going with the Saints and see see how our, our Jameis Winston Taysom Hill lineup is looking. 
I always enjoy hanging out with you guys. Thank you so much for the invitation. I look forward to talking to you all in the future. Well, there we go, Cameron. A friendly voice and actually a voice of hope. Uh, Dave, Dave is like me, was not a great Jameis fan, but he, he's trying to find the positives in what becoming the way of New Orleans. And I had to correct him when he was accusing me of not believing the Winston bandwagon. I'm all about Jameis. I've said it repeatedly on this podcast. So let's let's touch first of all, because I didn't we, I, we didn't speak you and me an awful lot about that. First of all, Paul, are you okay? Are you doing all right? <laughs> well, I. I knew it was going to come. The day was going to come, and you've got to move on. We've had 15 years of stability in New Orleans. So I can't really ask for more than that. If I had my choice, Jameis Winston wouldn't be lining up under centre. Uh, I would still have preferred we had gone out and got Mariota or somebody like that if we were going to take a flyer on someone, uh, especially if the Raiders release him. I would be in like a heartbeat. I think David's right that there's no way Russell Wilson's coming to the Saints. There's no way, you know, Deshaun Watson's coming there. You've got to give up far too much. And I think other teams that thinking they're about to get these guys are, are going to go through the same. What's the point of going to a worse situation that you might find yourself in because they've had to trade? you know three or four picks from the first and second round to get these guys so no a new era in new orleans and i've no doubt we'll be hearing much much more about it in the weeks and months ahead so we have to touch on drew Brees was <clears throat> one of the best his records you know you don't get those records without being one hell of a quarterback um we've talked a lot about the, on this podcast Obviously, the the performances were perhaps not quite what they once were. The arm certainly was questioned in that sense. But let's not take away from everything that achieved. Brought a Super Bowl to New Orleans um, and made the Saints absolutely relevant for a very long period. And as we touched on there with Dave, and what is a very competitive NFC South. Uh, fine, there's not been a lot of Super Bowl wins in that division. And that's quite something when you look at the talent. They beat each other up so much over the season that they often don't have the the power to make it all the way to the finishing line. But they did this year. Um, Anyway, sorry. sorry. Uh, We'll move on from that. Um, But Drew moves on. Uh, We look into this. It's either going to be Hill or Winston as it stands. But free agency's got a long way to go. The draft is coming up. There's a lot could change between now and then. Charles, as a former NFC person, you know, the fact that Breeze isn't at the Saints immediately makes them much less of a threat. Yeah, well, they weren't they weren't particularly fearful once he, his arm disappeared at the best of times. Um, I mean, listen, he's been an absolute saint for the Saints, isn't he? He's been fantastic. And the Saints weren't relevant as an organisation until he came along, really. I think we have to be brutally honest. You know, they, they, they struggled for years and he turned the whole franchise around and he, told, he he helped turn the city around after everything that happened to it as well. And he and Sean Payne deserve massive credit, but time time marches on. you got to move on. And I, I had a pop at Sean Payne a couple of months ago because I think that the succession planning has been poor. In New Orleans, you know they've they've come close to the Super Bowl four years in a row. They've gone all in and they haven't done it. And now he's retired. You're left with a tight end or a guy that you know Paul doesn't want as your quarterback. That's not very good planning, forward thinking, if you ask me. From the point of view of how do we continue to be uh, successful, competitive, a playoff team? I can't see them being a playoff team next season if either Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston are behind centre because they've, they've, we've talked about their salary cap situation as well. And they're not going to go out and splash the cash in the next month or so. And 
it looks to me like that this is going to be a season of transition, and I'll be very surprised, frankly, if they can if they can if they can over overcome Tampa Bay and perhaps maybe Atlanta and uh, Carolina could catch up with them. See, I, I disagree slightly, Charles. I think there is succession planning, and I think Winston is the plan for Peyton as far as he's concerned. He's he's seen him in opposition. He's seen him in the building for a year. Now, whether you agree with it or not, it, I think that is the succession plan. Mm. I think he's gambling massively, um, but I, th- I think that is, is certainly the plan. And, and as, as David said earlier, Sean Payton likes to design his offense for his quarterback. And that could be the difference that takes Jameis Winston positive. I I remain as sceptical as anyone. Don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to look for any positives that there might be. It's going to be entertaining. That's nothing. There's nothing about, you know, you can't say anything more than that. It's going to be fascinating to see what they do. But I don't know if this is a guy who was a number one pick and who got released because Tampa thought that they could do far better. And then they got in a a 40 year old and it was proved to be the right decision. And, as much as we can wind you up about it and have great sort of laughs and giggles watching him hurl it all over the field this year coming, that to me doesn't seem like a sound way to build a franchise. Gordon. I mean, if you're, if you're going to put him in an offense that is going to give him the chance to maximize the success and let's for all, for all the bad about Jameis Winston, there are maybe 15 quarterbacks in the NFL who have like the highs he has throughout a season. If you took Jameis Winston and took away 40% of the negative plays, you're a playoff team. And his highs are good enough that you get to the playoffs. There is a version of events where you can win four games, win a Super Bowl. Don't think it's likely, but... If you were given me, and I've I've said this before about other various things, if you don't have a Drew Brees, an Aaron Rodgers, a Patrick Mahomes, a Tom Brady, is your best bet having you know a scrambling quarterback who can do damage in different ways, or is your best bet having a high variance quarterback who just might do what Joe Flacco did, who might do what Nick Foles did for the Eagles, might do what Eli Manning did twice, so. While in no way, shape, or form am I predicting the Saints win the Super Bowl with Jameis Winston, in terms of what their options are for succession plans, Paul is out of his mind if he'd rather take Marcus Mariota. <laughs> the, the, the high of Marcus Mariota is not is not getting you to the Super Bowl. It just isn't. We've seen what his best level is, and it's not good enough. Jameis's best, if you get a little bit of luck, actually could be really good. Now, I don't think it's going to be a consistent over three, four, five years. But he absolutely has a great season in him just by getting away with some of his mistakes as well. And he's the thing for me, sorry. Uh, sorry, Cameron, I think the thing for me, I've talked about succession planning. Why didn't they draft a quarterback in the last three years? They knew Drew Brees was at the end of the road. Why didn't they draft a top quarterback, move up in the draft, get somebody who can sit behind Brees for a couple of years? And I know there's all this rubbish about, oh, you've got to use the rookie contract. Listen, the Saints are so far in salary cap hell, it doesn't matter. Drew Brees is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I don't understand why a franchise like that, and I'm going to use this Packers as an example here, doesn't draft a quarterback to sit behind your all-time legend 
and learn from him because there's plenty of good quarterbacks that have come into the NFL in the last two or three years that if the Saints had decided they wanted to do it, they could have traded up and got one. They um they were chasing the end of Breeze's career. That yeah. like they traded up to get who was the the edge defender. Davenport. Yeah. Yeah, Davenport. There we go. A couple of years ago. You know, they pushed Breeze's contract a couple of years further down the line. All those things. I think even though I can understand that as much as I disagreed with it, but to your point, doesn't need to be a first round quarterback. They could have been taking a quarterback in the third round, you know, each year and seeing what you wind up with. So I, I agree with a potentially poor succession plan as part of that. See, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't like Winston, but I don't necessarily agree with the poor succession planning, but he has got a number one draft pick with oodles of NFL experience in to replace Drew Brees. Now, if you take the name out of it, I would have thought that was pretty good succession planning. Well, I mean, he didn't draft him first overall, though. That wasn't like... The, no, but the, the he, succession he, plan was like a first overall pick that failed, and that's why he was available. He fell into their laps, Paul, and you don't like him. Let's be no, honest. I, I don't, <laughs> but I, I, still, I still argue that that's the plan that he had, knowing that Breeze had one season left. He looked to see what was there, and that's the plan put in place. Now, do I agree with the plan? No, I don't, but I think there is a plan there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting. And I think we talked about the maturity of Winston. We talked about what the, you know... And, and to Gordon's point, we know that his upside is very, very high. That's the reason that he went number one overall. Uh, and the change of location might be the right thing to do. The succession planning thing, yeah, I think that they, they definitely rolled the dice for Drew. Uh, they gave Drew every possible opportunity to win another Super Bowl. Uh, and as per Paul... Um, earlier and as well with the Dave, uh, with the chat with Dave, other than some fluky plays for the Vikings and some corrupt uh, officials, his words, not mine, um, you know, the, the Saints may well have got to another Super Bowl. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. And now it's 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 a rebuild, but is it a rebuild? If, if Winston can come in and deliver, great. Do you know what? You've landed in your succession plan and absolutely fine. I think that Peyton has taken that opportunity to do it. But, you know, let's be honest. It, Breeze was a massively capable quarterback that fitted that system so very well, was able to utilize the likes of Kamara and things like that. That's something that uh, whoever comes in is going to need to do. We saw how, you know, how little impact Kamara was on the game when Taysom Hill was in on the field. It just shows you how significant that relationship was between Bruce and him. The way that they played just worked for each other. And therefore, you've got to find a quarterback that's going to work with Kamara in that same way. Um, if you play fantasy football and you've got Alvin Kamara, you're thinking about your keeper next year. Do you keep Kamara? Do you? Or do you, do you look yes. at someone else? If you've got... Like if, you, if you don't keep Alvin Kamara, you're an idiot. Anyone who's listening <laughs> who is debating that in your head just now, if you're... Cameron, you you clearly don't have him in any league I you're do. in. Listen, I've got him in the league that you and me are in. I have Kamara. Oh, get then sorry, keeper. sorry. Let me let right me on. change my advice. You should absolutely not keep Kamara <laughs> if you have. But Kamara or Derek Henry? You know, did you keep Derek Henry over him? Is Kamara oh. a question mark? Is he still the absolute standout other than Christian McCaffrey from a fantasy point of view? Who knows? Good dilemma. Yeah. Ooh, like that. Are we going to talk about running backs? We are. Oh, I hope so. What a segue. Oh, I, hope because... we're, I hope we're talking about running backs tonight. I'm waiting for this. Let, let... Got Aaron Jones. Do you keep Aaron Jones? or do you... I think you do keep Aaron Jones. <laughs> and how much of your uh, salary cap, what percentage of your salary cap are you willing to give him? 
as much oh. as is necessary. <laughs> okay, gents, no scratching, no biting, no gouging. Ding, ding. We Seconds to, out. I think should, you go. There needs to be a little bit of a backstory to this. So uh, Gordon and I are in vehement disagreement. Uh, now we're in talking about free agency, I presume now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pile on, yeah, let's pile into free agency. Um, I'm going to part right? The only thing I want to say on Aaron Jones, and I'm going to part the fact that he is a Packer and the fact that I'm a cheesehead. Um, I'm going to look at two other or three. Actually, there's three. There's three deals out here that you can compare it to. Kyle Juszczyk has signed a five-year deal with the San Francisco 49ers for I think it's 5.2 million a year. All right. Joe Tooney has just signed an eight a five-year 80 million dollar deal with the Chiefs, and Jonu Smith I think has signed a 50 million deal with. The Patriots, and this is a tight end. He's Patriots are signing Jonu Smith, a tight end, for more than the Green Bay are getting Aaron Jones. Gordon has, to use Cameron's phrase, analytics pish, <laughs> thrown at me <laughs> the fact that this is a bad deal to give Aaron Jones $48 million over four years. It is worth every penny, in my view, because this theory that running backs are not worth this amount of money. You shouldn't be paying more than, quote-unquote, $5 million dollars. Is that correct? Five million dollars. Yep. Thank you. So let me ask why the 49ers are prepared to pay more than that for a fullback. That's a good question. I think ultimately this theory behind how much you should pay a running back or the quarter mar- quarterback market's being reset every time someone signs a contract. It's all about the value of the player to the system and the scheme. It's got nothing to do with which position he plays. And the fact that the running back market has been undervalued by analytics people that's fine as far as i'm concerned he is probably the third most important player on the whole green bay packers roster they were never going to let him go what you see in free in free agency every year is unless there is an absolute nightmare scenario in, in a team and the salary cap is through the floor for the team they can't handle it good players don't leave bottom Just- line they were never going to let him go they were never going to let him go and it's a good deal just before you come in, Gordon, I just want to add one thing. Cal uh, Juszczyk, the juice, he is a fullback. You, you touched on that. Five million. You only got a halfback for 12 million. We got a fullback. <laughs> anyway. That's that's horrendous. I, I actually, <laughs> I almost want to agree with Charles just to just to go against that horrendous joke. Uh, blocking is while the juice gets his money, I think. No, he doesn't. He gets it because he's a receiver, and it's that's a horrible deal as well. So, for, first point. <laughs> Aaron Jones is a perfectly good running back. You're, he's, what, top five, top six five. running back in the top NFL? Five. Absolutely no problem with that. That's that's absolutely fine. The um, the Kyle Juszczyk deal is a bad deal. That, that's too much money for the 49ers to be spending on him. They're probably the best team at using a player like that, and it's still too much to, to spend on him. Joe Thune is getting $80 million because he's the best guard in the NFL, and he's a free agent. So that that's kind of where he came in. Look, the value in running backs is something that it's it's just it's fact by now. Teams consistently draft running backs high. We've seen Saqu- Saquon Barkley was drafted what second overall last week. Dave Gettleman came out and said, "Well, we need to decide whether or not we're going to give him the the uh, fifth year option or not." They're they're not even set on what they're going to do there. If the Packers had gone, and it's actually I I, I thought it was a terrible deal at twelve million. It's not terrible because it's closer to like 9.5, I think. It's now just bad. It's not terrible. It's bad. <laughs> you can live with a bad deal for a running back. That's fine. 
But this is the second mistake they've made at running back in eight months. Well, no, ten months. They spent a second-round pick on A.J. Dillon. As, as a fan of a team who's spent a second-round draft pick on a running back recently, do not like it. However, you can live with it if it's saving you money long-term. The A.J. Dillon draft pick, if it saved you from spending almost $10 million a year on a running back, makes sense. Draft a running back in the second round and then pay your running back $10 million a year. One of those is a really bad move. And you can take your pick, whichever one is. I don't think either is a bad move because of the scheme. Because they use the, the running backs. They're letting Jamal Williams walk, so they've now only got two. And they used all three to great effect to get to two, well, they've been to two NFC Championship games in a row. There's a reason that Green Bay have been to two NFC Championship games in a row, and one of the reasons is Aaron Jones. And the fact that, the fact is, he's 25, he's actually been underused, I think it's fair to say, by the Packers. If they'd actually used him a bit better, then it would have probably been more beneficial to him and the team. And th- this is the, you talked about this last week, Cameron. Why did they not tag him? Now, I asked the question myself, why have they not tagged them? Well, I thought when they didn't, they must be working on a deal to keep him, and so it has proved. If you tag him at $8 million, which is what it was going to be, let's say he has another great season, then you've got a problem because the salary cap's going to rocket next year. The problem here is the fact that then you've got to tag him at a higher price, and then actually he might well be done at 27. And this comes down to how much people value running backs in the league. The Tennessee Titans value Derrick Henry enough to give him a three-year deal. And what did he do? He ran for 2,000 yards. He is that important to their system and their way of playing that regardless of this theory that running backs grow on trees and you can just get another one, if it fits for the system, I, th- I think it's good money and I think it's a good deal for the player. And the other thing I should say about Aaron Jones, he was drafted in the fifth round They've been paying him about a bag of magic beans for the past four years. So fair play to Aaron Jones. He's actually getting some cash. Yeah, I mean, that that backs up everything we're saying about running backs, though. You can find one in the fourth. Like, Jamal Williams was really good in Green Bay. He's going to move on. He'll probably sign for four or five million. Just in terms of where where you want to allocate your funds, I think the Packers would have been better with. So let's let's look at two scenarios for the Packers. Let's say you get... Aaron Jones, you have A.J. Dillon and a fifth-round pick at running back. And wide receiver as your wide receiver two, you go out and get John Ross from the Bengals. Speedster, often injured. Flip side, you let Aaron Jones go. You have A.J. Dillon. You sign Jamal Williams for four or five million a year and a fourth or fifth-round pick at running back. And instead, you spend the money you saved at running back on Will Fuller. Which of those would you rather have on offense? Because I know what I would rather have. Uh, I think I'd rather have Aaron Jones, actually, than Will Fuller. Because uh, Aaron Jones at least is clean and doesn't get injured all the time. And uh, listen, I think listen, you can debate it as much as you like. Aaron, the A.G. Dillon pick last year was questionable. If he turns into a player that's going to run for a 1,000 yards, then it's justifiable. But the, the problem here is the fact that there's this theory that teams will go out and just pick up running backs left, right, and center. There is no, there is no such thing as a sure thing in the league until someone's proved it. And Aaron Jones has proved it for two consecutive seasons. I'd far rather he was on the roster than he was somewhere else because he would get his money elsewhere. Oh, he definitely. Bottom line, he's a good player, and I, they played Corey Lindsley Watt, and that's the problem for for Green Bay. Is you couldn't keep both of them. It was either Lindsley or Jones, and they've banked on the weapon as opposed to a guy who is an offense. He's the best center in football. 
Yeah. But it's probably easier to find another offensive lineman than get, find another oh, elite running back. Oh, I disagree with that. Uh, the, the offensive linemen in the NFL are like a bad offensive lineman in the NFL is more likely to be on your offensive line than a bad running back. The other thing that you said there about the value thing, and he's only 25. If the Packers had franchise tagged him two years in a row, he's going to be 27. At that point, you're probably letting him walk. Yeah. And I yeah. think from what I read the other day, that would have been better better value for the Packers. Now, obviously, the flip side is he then holds out and all that stuff. You know, that's where it potentially goes. But I, I, I would have definitely kept Lindsley, um, who apparently, according to Tom Pelissero, has just signed with or is signing with the Chargers. Well, they need the help. For them. <laughs> Breaking news. L- they need the help. L- Lindsay has just signed with the, the, the Chargers. Um, all pro center Corey Lindsley per the NFL Network, according to the latest from Sporting News, because I'm keeping across this. The Browns bringing in safety John Johnson, three year, 33.75 million contract, 24 million guaranteed. Joe Thunney has signed with the Chiefs, five years, 80 million. Uh, New England have got a couple of playful. Matthew Judden, four-year, 56 million. Jalen Mills coming in. But the best line of the day comes on their, their ticket at 2.30 p.m. And I quote, somebody willingly is joining the Texans. <laughs> Wide receiver Andre Roberts signing a two-year deal with a team. <laughs> That's a brilliant line. Tell you what, the, the John Johnson signing by the Browns is a really good one. The Browns are... I was scared about the Browns a couple of years ago and I'm starting to get very worried about them again because after a very good year last year, the biggest concern you had for them was their defensive backfield, especially at safety. Their safeties were the worst starting tandem in the NFL last year and John Johnson's probably a top five, six safety in the NFL. Uh, and contract-wise as well, like three-year contract for him, looking at about an average of 11... It's uh, all right. Just over 11 million a year isn't terrible for a strong safety. Um, yep. there, there's some interesting re-signings in there as well Shaq Barrett obviously re-signing in Tampa Bay that's big for them uh, and you've seen Romeo Okwara re-sign in Detroit um, It's uh, but listen we need to talk about New England because everybody's going everybody's getting paid there's, there's free money uh, Bill Belichick's found a printing press somewhere and he's just reaming it off that's quite the investment in a single day before free agency obviously officially opens on Wednesday. But you look down the list and, you know, Matt Judon, obviously we'll come to that in a minute because it's a pretty big one. Johnny Smith, another big contract there. Jalen Mills, obviously making the move from the Eagles. Now, I'll pronounce his name wrong, I'm sure. Davon Godshu, um, defensive tackle moving up there as well. Um, and apparently they're not done. Apparently there are other moves afoot. Uh, they're in the market for a wide receiver, so we'll do some speculation on that in a minute. But, Gordon, what's, what's your take on some of these big money moves that New England have been making? I kind of think they've overpaid for most of them. They've overpaid for kind of average to good players. Judon in Baltimore is fine as a pass rusher, but like half of his pressures every single season seem to come from like unblocked situations where either... You know, it's through a stunt or it's schemed up a certain way. Now, he can be used that way in New England, but if you're paying a guy that amount of money, I expect him to be a 15-sack guy off the edge that can beat an offensive tackle, and Judon doesn't do that consistently. Godshow is not a $5 million a year player. 
Um, John o. Smith, I think, said John o. Smith is the best of their of their four signings. Uh, Jalen Mills is poor. He's not a good player. Um, last season was his best season, but he's had some horrible. And when he was in Philadelphia, he had some horrible, horrible seasons. This very much feels like Bill Belichick at sixty nine years old has seen Tom Brady go out there, and he's seen him go and win a Super Bowl. He's seen you know him go and have success elsewhere, and he's throwing everything at this. And I guarantee you, it doesn't end well for the Patriots. It looks like it's just he's throwing everything at a wall to see what will stick. And they've yeah. obviously re-signed Cam Newton, which is probably the most important move that they've made in terms of the, the, the centerpiece. They've given him another one-year deal. I have to gain, you know, what, what's the theory here if you're in New England? Do you honestly think that Cam Newton's going to take you to the playoffs? Didn't really show much last year to think that you could. And he's now lost Joe Tooney who's arguably the best lineman that they have. Okay, they're getting Trent Brown back. But yeah, it's it's a bizarre kind of setup and they're trying and they're trying to ship um the the wide receiver that they got 2 years ago in the first round because he's guff. They've been trying to trade him. So where, you know, where's the strategy here? And maybe Bill maybe Belichick is um secretly trying to um just he maybe maybe he thinks that um that, that Cam Newton is actually secretly as bad as we we all saw he was. And perhaps this is a kind of plan a year ahead. I think the 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 fact that the salary cap is absolutely going to go up by quite a bit next year. If you're a team and you spend loads now, why would you not want to save some of your money? I think you talked about this last week, Gordon. Why would you not want to roll some of it over to next yep. year? You don't roll, need to roll over to next year. You don't need to spend it all now. But do you know that I mean, in terms of New England, do you not know think Bill Belichick simply can't afford another bad season? No, and he, oh, need, he he he. Do you think can he afford, can? He can afford a bad season, but I I think it's the opposite. I, so last season, I thought this is the Patriots are the team who have the absolute um, backing of all their success that they could have fully tanked and found themselves in the top three of the draft this year and got Fields, Wilson, or Lawrence. Obviously, the, at this time last year, it was tanking for Lawrence, but now there's three quarterbacks who conceivably you'd quite happily take at the top there. Belichick's too old, I think, for that. I don't think he has a three-year rebuild left in him. I think he, you know, wants to try and get back to the playoffs, try and win another Super Bowl, and probably in the next couple of years will retire. Uh, so at that point, it then becomes this thing where you're just chasing and you're chasing things that just aren't there. And just if if the money they've spent, I think it would have been smarter for them to keep Joe Thune at right guard and spend that money on Carl Lawson as an edge rusher rather than Matthew Judon. They, what they are going to get back is a whole stack of players who'd opted out last year. Yep. So they're, they're actually on paper, their defense should look pretty good. But the question is, is can Cam actually lead them past 15 points, which is debatable. It's, it's a fascinating time of year and there's lots of movements going on. Just a couple of breaking ones that are coming in as, as we chat away here. So the 49ers have picked up Samson Ibukum from uh, the Rams, which is outside pass rush help there. Uh, the Niners have also uh, agreed a restructured two-year deal worth $24 million with D Ford. So uh, it looks like a, a win-win situation, according to Ian Rappaport. Um, the Texans have added Malik Collins, one-year, $6 million deal. Uh, and Shelby Harris is staying at the Broncos. This, this is the time of year where all of this stuff just goes absolutely 
nuts for a while. Um, and you do see teams coming out the traps quickly. And you see other teams sitting and being patient. Paul, when we spoke last time, one of the teams that you talked about was the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, and actually, I saw Pete Schrager saying earlier on today that he doesn't anticipate that is the approach because in Indianapolis, they play the waiting game. Um, I'm not sure, though, that that's necessarily always the right strategy. If there's a player out there that you want to absolutely get, surely you just go out and get him. You don't want to go ridiculously over the top. But if there's someone there that you know can immediately improve your squad and your team and elevate you, you should go get them, right? Well, I, th- I think there's a mixture. I mean, I think Gordon's already alluded to the fact that he feels teams are overpaying. So you might have to come, if you come in early, you're overpaying. If there are three or four players of a similar standard that you're looking at and you're not really fussed which one you get, are you best to wait till the others go and then swoop in because the player might be a little bit more desperate to sign? I think the only thing you've got to guard against in that is somebody getting paid a lot more than you suspect and the other players holding out uh, to try and get that same kind of money. Uh, probably isn't a problem this year. I think contracts have been a little bit depressed probably because of the cap being down a bit, which seems to help teams. I, I think it does help teams. And we are we are presuming that because of the new TV rights deals that everything will go up significantly. But, you know, broadcast networks have got their own struggles as well at the moment. And they're having to be careful. Although I, I, I do suspect overall the NFL will get away with it. I mean, they're looking at Disney is looking at paying $2.6 billion annually for Monday Night Football. That's 30% up on the current $2 billion. Uh, they are trying to get a Super Bowl out of that. They are potentially going to stream games on ABC and ESPN, trying to maximise, um, you know, what you have in terms of that, you know, just saving in production costs and all that sort of stuff. So it'll be interesting to see to see how the TV goes. There's certainly no suggestions that there'll be much change regarding, you know, the NFL on Fox, CBS and uh, Sunday Night NBC. If you're a player you might be thinking, you know what, I might just bet on myself and sign a one-year contract because next year, if I play well, I could absolutely hit the jackpot. And you do wonder whether a lot of these edge rushers as well who, who are still sitting out there, such as uh, you know Lawson and Hendrickson and Bud Dupree, who's obviously coming off an injury, and Clowney, who didn't really do much when, when he was in Tennessee, if these guys actually have a good up year and they take a one-year contract then suddenly they could cash in next year because it will, it's the way the world works. Everything, if we are assuming that the COVID world will end in the next wee while in terms of how it affects the NFL, then it's going to be, it's, it's going to be an absolute minefield for these guys. Clowney, I think as well, Clowney, I would be surprised if he takes more than a one-year deal because mm. I don't think his market's going to be what he wants because he was injured again last year. Hendrickson, I think, Last season was probably like the peak of his numbers. His sack numbers were far above what his pressure rate was. So if he was to bet on himself, he might find that next season he's as successful as a pass rusher pressure-wise, but only winds up with eight or nine sacks. And all of a sudden that comes down. So if I was him, I'd be trying to get the long-term deal now. But someone like Clowney, someone like a Carl Lawson, you know, go and get that one-year deal. And then next year with a much bigger cap, really cash in. Of the players left still to go, who's the one that you're most interested in seeing where they land? Galladay. And 
let's take that then on to the the, the rumor mill. Where do you think Galladay ends up? I mean, it sounds so, like he's taking his time from some yeah, of the which, going out. which sounds like it's only the Jets it, that have offered me anything. Well, well, it sounds like pay me my money, like which means Jacksonville, the Jets. Uh, that's probably it. That's maybe Miami. Like one of those are your those are your big teams that you know potentially can go out and spend big money. Um, yeah, I think receiver is the one really because there's not a whole heap of them out there. Juju Smith-Schuster and and Will Fuller are the two for me because from putting my cheese head on, um, the Packers were reportedly quite close to getting Fuller before the trade deadline, um, and. It's Smith Schuster is what a year and a half removed from being one of the best in the league, and then he started dancing on people's logos instead of catching balls. So, you know, there's a talent there. He would be an absolutely excellent number two receiver in Green Bay. Um, I'm dreading the possibility of I would him, like that. him to Baltimore. Oh, that would be superb, wouldn't it? <laughs> Just Baltimore need Baltimore need a, a receiver. John Brown is our free agent, and when John Brown's fit. I mean, he was he was a difference maker in Buffalo. He's another one. There's 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 a lot of really sort of solid number two receivers out there. And I mean, Emmanuel Sanders has just been released. Well, that that, that was the one I would yeah, that's the one I was just going to mention. I mean, I think Emmanuel Sanders could fit at several teams. I mean, I'm not sure whether either of you two would would mind them landing in your backyard, but I don't I think it'd do any harm. It's also, yeah. They, Sanders would fit with what the Ravens were already done. So they wanted to upgrade their offensive line. They went and got Kevin Zeitler, who was released by the Giants, who, because he was released, doesn't impact the compensatory picks next year, which is a typical Ravens type of move. The Ravens receiver thing's really interesting because Kenny Galladay would absolutely be the A there if you can get him. It's not it's not a move the Ravens ever make, so I'd be surprised. Corey Davis is like a nice fallback. Outside of that, I don't necessarily think there's the type of receiver that they are lacking just now. Marquise Brown is your Will Fuller type wide receiver. So if you're the Ravens, do you decide, actually, we're just going to keep adding speed to this offense and go add Will Fuller? The other interesting thing that I think the Ravens might try and do is they might put all the resource into the offensive line. And everyone spent all this time talking about they need a wide receiver, they need this, need that. I've said numerous times, if you're in the AFC, your goal is get to the playoffs and hope that the Chiefs slip up either against you or someone else. Maybe the Ravens' plan is, we're going to run the ball better than anyone else in football. We're going to get to the playoffs and we're going to hope the Chiefs slip slip up and we'll be there to to capitalise if they do. It's not the way I would do it, but it wouldn't shock me if that was their thinking. There's one, actually, Cameron, that you need to um, analyse here. Why have the Niners not re-signed Trent Williams? Because he's the best left tackle out there. <laughs> yep. Um, it's, a, it's, it's an apologies time here. So no, no, I, I, it's, I, it's an interesting one, and it's definitely one that I want us to try and sort. Uh, I think that if if he goes, that will be a, a big loss. If he goes, someone's going to be paying him a lot of money. Um, but I wonder now whether New England will be. I mean, it's a different position, but I wonder whether New England will be looking at their offensive line and going like, right, can we move pieces around and make this a possibility? Um, I, I would like City to look at him right now because Kansas City have just lost their starting two starting tackles, and if they've just signed Joe Tooney, then Trent Williams for me, if they can make the money work, yeah, I was going to say if they, if they can make the money work, it's probably their biggest challenge. I would imagine it's it's an interesting one. I, 
right now it feels like there's a lot of things that are being signed up and sorted out in San Francisco. So fingers crossed that they, they manage to get him done. Whether or not he sits and really takes time to look at all his offers before deciding what he wants to do, I don't know. But definitely it is one that I'd like to get sorted sooner rather than later. Uh, he, he's a massive, massive name, uh, a huge player. Even at 33, you know, he's at the position that he plays, he can be going for another couple of years quite easily. Yeah. Um, he will become the highest paid at the position when he's paid eventually. And it's just whether or not San Francisco are willing to, to commit that much money to it. I wonder whether they've got other things going on in the background, other other things that they're trying to, other levers they're trying to pull and see how pullable those lever, levers are before they commit to anything. But definitely want to see him uh, signed up because it would be a massive gap and a really, really difficult one to replace. Um, you know, the Niners are restructuring, they're, they're bringing people back. Uh, they've got to go out and make some moves and they've got to get everybody fit. And I think that, you know, what we don't want to do is get all our defensive lineman back that we've been missing uh, and then find a big massive gaping hole in offense i did say that juice can block but i don't think he can play left tackle um if he can then brilliant it's the best signing he's ever made <laughs> but yeah there's a lot a lot to be done here and actually it looks like there's a bit of rumors going and it's rumors and i don't want to read into rumors here because there's so many of them yeah no Kendrick Bourne is possibly the player, we talked about this at the top, that New England looking at wide receiver. Kendrick Bourne seems to be the name that's getting thrown around there. Not necessarily a player I'm overly sad to see go from the Niners. Like, don't get me wrong, we keep him great. I'm not going to lose a huge amount of sleep. I wondered, though, whether New England, to bring it back to that conversation, Curtis Samuel is a wide receiver we've not really mentioned all that much of. And, you know, Curtis Samuel did an awful lot of the work in the backfield with Christian McCaffrey not being there last year. Obviously has that relationship with Cam Newton. Um, I wonder whether that's the sort of player that the, the Patriots might be looking for. But maybe Kendrick Bourne is going to be something like that. I don't know. So uh, this is, uh, we talked about it at the top, this is a time where you can smash your F5 button and hope for the very, very, very best. Uh, there's news all over the place. You know, you, you, you search for some of the people and it's, it's like 20 tweets in the last hour and you're like, Jesus Christ, for people that you sometimes get one or two from. So lots and lots going on. This is the time of year to set up notifications for Schefter, Rap Sheet, all those guys, so that you don't, all you need to do is just look on Twitter and it'll tell you when something's happened. You don't then need to so hit F5. I, I've just blocked Rappaport for reporting that Winston was going to get a new deal, so I have to go and <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger, I think is what they say, Paul. Okay, uh, any other stories? I, we might catch up in a couple of days' time, depending on what pans out over um, free agency. But anything else that we want to cover just now? Any other top stories? Yeah, Just one thing on the broadcast rights. I do not like Amazon Prime sniffing around the Thursday night package. I, I just, the NFL works on free-to-air TV. That's where the, the market is. But, they, you know, if they get the offer and the money's there, that's where Thursday night could be going. Yeah. Could be interesting. I mean, Amazon, these streaming services are definitely going to be a big part of where sports broadcasting is going. I, I it only works, it's... though. It only works, though, if you've got the quality of the coverage. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. And yeah. I think we've seen it in football in this country. Ultimately, fans are sick of jumping onto five different channels and paying for four or five different packages. One or two is fine. Three, okay, fine. And, it, you know, then it gets to the point where they just get sick of it and you actually have to have a properly professional broadcast uh, operation in swing 
you know, if you've got the wrong graphics or you've got the wrong production values or the wrong directors or the wrong talent, doesn't work it doesn't matter whether it's amazon and they can throw money at it you have to have an operation that that functions properly so like if they want to go and do it we've seen amazon dive into the premier league this year and they've got and they've got a chunk of it they've got a bite of it they'll probably want a bigger bite of it the next time the rights come up it's going to happen in the nfl but they have to package it right for the customer absolutely um i mean we talk a lot about how great it is that there's a, a choice of uh, ways you can ingest your football. But you're right. I think that you've got to make sure that the quality remains. Fine, you can have it on every different platform, but so what? It is about quality content, not just content itself. We've transcended beyond just the ability to see it. We now want to be able to see it and see it done properly. And I think you see that from the, the abuse that the Monday Night Football team got on ESPN a couple of years ago. And it was honking. It was terrible. We, I mean, Paul, Christ, banged on about every week. Rightly so. Yeah. But, Maybe that was just ESPN trying to drive down the price for Monday Night Football in the future. <laughs> Nobody's watching this. It's cheap. <laughs> and they've still not asked me to join the booth yet, which I find outrageous. It should happen. Right. Uh, let's do one quick last sweep off the social media channels because, you know, as soon as we stop recording... You're going to be up all night, isn't it? Something big's <laughs> going to happen, man. I, I've, I've been burnt too many times before. So... Uh, right, no, I, I'm, I think we probably have to reach a point where we draw a line. Um, oh, there you go. The last thing is Malik Taylor, Packers wide receiver, has been tendered for 2021. Okay, we'll end on that one. <laughs> it's Charles wow. yeah. Ruizzi's face up. <laughs> end on a blockbuster. I, yeah, I, I just like to say I'm not surprised Golody signed where he did. I'm not surprised Trent Williams signed where he did. I'm not surprised that Emmanuel Sanders signed where he did either. So there you go. Right. So just... I knew I knew these deals were going to happen. Yeah, I, I I didn't see the twenty five million a year for Winston coming though, and that's the full time <laughs> whistle for episode one hundred and forty of the NFL Scotland podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Please share your thoughts on this one at Scotland NFL on Twitter and search for NFL Scotland on Facebook. There may be no actual games well, that mean anything till September, but so much to talk about, and we'll be back throughout the spring and summer to talk all about these. My thanks to Charles Patterson, to Gordon McGuinness, to David Romero of the BS and Beer podcast, and even thank you to Cameron Hobbs breaking that late news about Winston to the Jets. That's it from us on the NFL Scotland podcast. Until next time, I'm Paul Mitchell. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>